Hi, I'm David Freudberg, and I'm on a mission. Since I was a high school intern in public radio back in NPR's first year on the air, I've devoted my working life to seeking out and disseminating knowledge that I hope will be enlightening and will benefit the lives of our listeners. But the grants we get, the generous support provided from foundations and some others, simply don't cover all our expenses. And if you like what you hear, we're asking for your help so we can keep this going. Please visit humanmedia.org, and at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Thanks. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund. Additional funding for this series has been provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the National Institutes of Health, the Annie E. Casey Foundation, and the Park Foundation. You live in a hothouse. You're oftentimes on a pod with 70, 80 other uh, men or women. It depends how the prison is set up, but you're around people all the time, who many of, of whom are very immature and you know flexing their muscles when they don't really need to and uh, acting abusively. And I think the more people become centered, the less they have to get caught up in the drama of the environment. A counselor working in prisons helps to transform houses of correction into houses of healing. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Nearly half of criminals released from prison are arrested again within three years. Through that revolving door, they return to a correctional system that is often overcrowded and ridden with violence. Polls show that the vast majority of citizens now favor rehabilitation services for inmates as opposed to a punishment-only system. And yet as our prison population has swollen, rehabilitation programs have in many communities been cut back. In this dark and frightening tunnel, one beam of light emanates from Robin Kasarjian, a counselor and educator based near Boston, who goes into prisons to help people heal. I think many people go to prison and come out and have never really uh, taken a serious look at what got them into prison in the first place. And they haven't had the guidance that they've needed to to realize that um, that this is an opportunity for them to heal. I, I love what this sheriff, uh, Michael Wade from Virginia, said, that incarceration is too precious an intervention opportunity to waste. And in our country, I believe that we have wasted it in spades, that we really have this opportunity. And yet the will hasn't been there, especially over the last couple of decades, because the mentality has been so punishment and punitively oriented. To help break the cycle of crime and recidivism, Robin drew on her experience as a therapist. In 1988, she began volunteering with incarcerated men and women, a project that evolved into the Lionheart Foundation in Boston. Her aim is to teach troubled prisoners what she calls emotional literacy, 
the ability to read, understand, and manage their feelings in a mature way. More than 50,000 copies of her book, Houses of Healing, have been donated to inmates at 200 prisons and jails throughout the United States. One of them is the Billerica, Massachusetts House of Correction, run by Middlesex County Sheriff James DePaolo. What do we expect to happen if we just put people into a, a confined area for a certain period of time and then just release them and waste all of that time that we had possibly to try to show them uh, what we think as a society is the normal kind of uh, actions that we would expect out of them. What we're dealing with here is, in many cases, broken people. And those people that uh, have fallen into the, the incarcerated mold for a lot of reasons, whether it be because of drug addiction or alcoholism or mental health, we have an awful lot of just mentally ill people incarcerated. What, what kinds of mental illness are they manifesting? Uh, bipolar. Uh, syndrome is a, is a very, very most probably one of the more un, unreported and unidentified um, uh, illnesses in America. People go through a manic episode and just kind of flip out. Uh, yes, that's correct, and uh, you know that's uh, that's something that we're dealing here uh, with a novel pilot program where we have an emergency stabilization unit uh, equipped and staffed with mental health professionals to be able to deal with those kinds of episodes. Do most people who wake up and realize that they're in jail get depressed? Jail in and of itself is a depressing place, whether you are a staff or an inmate. You know, it's a collection of every single emotional, psychological, social, economic problem that society has, and we put it all neatly in one little place, one little small geographical area, and then we ask our prison officials and the sheriffs across America to solve this problem. Almost all people confined to prison are eventually set free back into society. A compelling reason to help criminals mend their lives so that they don't reoffend. A study found that prisoners who underwent the Houses of Healing program tended to have decreased anxiety and hostility and were better able to manage their feelings. Says founder Robin Kasargian, they gain new ways to cope with the past. Uh, a tremendous uh, number of them come from very dysfunctional backgrounds, poverty. You don't find a lot of rich people in prison, people that have had a lot of opportunity afforded to them. I mean, certainly there are people in prison that have, but the vast majority of them have come from very wounding types of backgrounds. And apart from financial deprivation, what other kinds of wounds have they suffered? Oh, they come from families where there's been a tremendous amount of abuse, uh, substance abuse. And, uh, you know, I always say that in, in the groups, so part of the emotional healing process that these people need to engage in is looking at their own victimization as part of the healing process, not as a way to say, oh, I was abused, so I'm not responsible. No, they're totally responsible for their behavior. But by looking at their own abuse and participating in the healing process around that, they're able to begin to access um, a healing and a creative power that allows them to create a future that's different from their past. So as part of your work to help these prisoners to release the wounds that they 
received in childhood? Certainly to, yes, to, you could call it release, or I might tend to use the word heal some of those wounds from childhood so that the anger, the rage, the shame, it doesn't unconsciously drive their behaviors by by confronting them, by being aware of them, by beginning the healing process around some of that, they aren't so driven by those feelings anymore. So it takes some of the wind out of the sails of all that stuff that's unnamed and unknown? That's right. And they begin to see greater options for themselves and have a different kind of understanding about who they are and what they're capable of. Doing time in prison with its many monotonous hours gives inmates a chance for reflection. Some aren't motivated to do much deep thinking, but Houses of Healing offers an opportunity to assess the long and winding road from childhood to prison and to take a new look at the emotional undercurrents of rage that often play a role in antisocial behavior. Here's one inmate from the Billerica House of Correction. I'm really uh, passive. I, I kind of uh, internalize all the anger. That's uh, years ago when I was a kid. I think I, I was uh, I was much more aggressive. So it's like ba battery acid for me. It's like poison in my body. I can feel it. Like sometimes just running through the veins. And being in jail doesn't help because that doesn't reinforce anything positive. Daily, you feel like uh, you know you're just a bigger loser. You know my self-esteem. My self-worth and self-esteem is, is really low. So, I mean, jail doesn't improve that. Not for me, anyway. I love this uh, reverend author, Wayne Muller. He said, what if there is something deeper, something whole and strong, resilient and unbreakable, something untouched, untainted, even by the most terrific of experiences in our lifetime? What if there is a light that shines through even the most penetrating darkness? And I think, in essence, that's really what we're trying to help people to discover in themselves first, uh, that there is a core, a fundamental goodness, a core of strength and wisdom and integrity. And uh, I see our job as helping people to, uh, to begin to actually align with that part of themselves so that they can access the strength and the courage to do some of the difficult healing work that they need to do and part of that is to also come to terms with the crimes that they've committed. Now, you have worked with people who've committed murders. You've worked with people who've committed other heinous crimes. How do you personally retain faith that even in people with that kind of past, there remains a core of fundamental goodness and integrity? Well, it's easy for me to remain faith because I can see it in them. It, it's really obvious. First of all, the people who come to the courses, the emotional literacy courses that I teach and that other people teach with this Houses of Healing curriculum, they do, for the most part, self-select. So there are people who are ready to, uh, to take some look at themselves. And, um, you know, a lot of people that have killed people Certainly, there are the sociopaths or psychopaths, but so many of those people, it's really impulsive behavior. 
driven oftentimes by addiction and profound emotional woundedness within themselves. So once the, they're in prison and they're not doing drugs anymore and they're ready to take a look at themselves, they begin to access that part of themselves that can, uh, can demonstrate a greater level of maturity and access that maturity. So you directly see that good part of the people who've committed very serious crimes? I do. I do it. I, I see it, and in seeing it in them, it also, I believe, helps them access that in themselves. If I go in there looking at them as just horrible human beings who have no redemptive ability, it's hard for them to, 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 to experience the work that they're doing is, is being done in a safe place. I mean, my ability to see that in them gives them the opportunity to have more faith in that possibility for themselves. And what I try to do is give them the tools to discover that in themselves and access that in themselves. And what are some of those tools? Part of that is an explicit uh, statement that they do have that core self, that fundamental goodness. And the work of healing is helping them to access that. Also, we give them a lot of tools to help them to develop impulse control. Meditation is something that we teach and is a core foundation of the course. We help people look in their background at uh, what were their childhoods like, and were there things that went on in their childhoods that shaped the way they are as adults and the choices that they've made along the way? Forgiveness is a big part of the process that we do. Forgiveness and also self-forgiveness, which doesn't come till towards the end of the curriculum. But self-forgiveness for many people is unacceptable when they think about prisoners forgiving themselves as the commission of the crime. However, self-forgiveness in the way that we work with it is um, not about condoning behavior or overlooking it or excusing it or an easy way out of confronting the past. In fact, self-forgiveness calls for total confrontation. And it's a lengthy process where people have to do, take the time and the energy and a depth of honest self-examination that not all people are ready or willing to do. You use the word confrontation. What's the confrontation for someone attempting to address their past and come to peace over it? Well, part of that confrontation and self-forgiveness is, as I say, getting down and dirty about what you've done and the impact of what you've done on other individuals. Or Do you find people are in denial about that? Oh, absolutely. They're, they're in denial and they're just very unaware of the impact of what they've done on other people. On I mean, they're, they're sitting in prison for a crime they committed and were convicted of, and still it's hard for them directly to face that. Yes, 
Yes, I think there's just a great level of unawareness of how their behaviors have impacted other people. And Does uh, that come from lack of empathy? Certainly, it comes from a lack of empathy. They can't feel themselves, their own feelings. And so their ability to have empathy and feel what other people are feeling is very diminished for a lot of them. And again, I'm not speaking about everybody, obviously, but for, I think, for many people, that's why it's so important. It, it really, if you look at the issue of emotional literacy, it's, it's the ability to read and identify and manage and understand and express one's feelings in a mature and thoughtful way. And so in the process of this emotional healing, before in order to develop empathy for others, they begin to get in touch with their own emotional life and, and begin uh, identifying again and managing and, and, and having a much greater awareness of their own emotional life so they can have a greater awareness of what other people may be experiencing. Gradually developing self-awareness is a lifelong journey for anyone, finding out what makes us tick and understanding why we act as we do. People who are incarcerated must rummage through their personal wreckage to find answers and find a way to a better life. Houses of Healing teaches a person skills of introspection, how to relax and meditate, how to take a kind of internal weather report, to notice what you're really feeling and thinking. It's an optional course at the jail in Billerica, Massachusetts, which houses about 800 prisoners. Many are in for offenses such as breaking and entering and assault, often related to substance abuse. A group of inmates all dressed in tan jumpsuits huddled with me around a table in a small room at the jail. The meditation uh, helped to, to uh, relax and not let things around me bother me. Uh, so it was, it was a good thing that I, I signed up for the program and got into it. I wasn't sure what it was about, but I liked it when I did. What, what parts of it have you especially liked? Mostly the meditation and, and the anger, how to deal with the angers and... How not let how not how to let things bother me to uh, suppress it to relax to count to ten as uh, you know and just you know think about it. Is that hard to do? Is it is it hard to control those impulses? It was on the outside. Um, you know, I usually turn to drugs and alcohol when things bothered me. Um, now maybe when I get out of here, I'll, I'll I'll try to meditate and not use alcohol and drugs to suppress uh, things and anger and all that. So what for you is uh, the experience of meditation? Could you just describe what, what you do and, and what that does to you? Well, I like to think about a nice, calm place like an ocean. You just hear the waves and just relax and be in a, in a place where I'm all alone and nothing else around me bothers me. Uh, and it's soothing and quiet and it keeps you calm and it's that's what I do. Uh, a lot of it is just, um, in my opinion, awareness of 
what you're doing, um, like with the meditation and stuff, trying to keep your thoughts in check, you know, it's like, and, and I, I get uptight, I, I, I will feel that I am using short breaths instead of deep breaths and not aware of it. And, you know, the body awareness, like the weather reports, was um, paying attention to the feelings you have and muscle tension and stuff like that. I do not live in a prison, and I find it hard to meditate, to calm down, to quiet my mind, to slow my thoughts. Mm -hmm. How does somebody do that in prison? They make the commitment to do it. There's no two ways around it. You, you, um, you, you really have to make a commitment to doing these kinds of things. In fact, when people sign up for the course, I say, don't sign up for the course unless you're willing to work on uh, the aspects of the course on a daily basis. It's not once a week. It's seven days a week that you really have to be willing to embrace it. There's no pill. There's no simple way that you're going to break patterns of thinking from years for any of us, whether you're in prison or you're out of prison, unless you really have a commitment to the kind of discipline that will help you to do that. As I was just saying to a group of prisoners last week, no discipline, no freedom. That in order for us to have the freedom that awareness offers, we have to be willing to embrace a certain level of discipline in our life. But what I do, I use what I've learned in the House of Healing along with my Bible, my Psalms, Revelations, things like that. And it gives me a calm and an inner peace, which I can get through the day. Do you have a specific time of day when you try to do these practices? Yes, I do. Uh, when I leave the kitchen, because I work there, when I get back, I take my shower, I sit down, I take oh, half an hour or so, and uh, this relieves me and it makes me feel good and uh, keeps all the negativity out. So you have to do that. Not going to be in here forever. How about forgiveness? Do you struggle with that? Uh, I did. And sometimes I still do. There's a lot of things I've done in life I'm ashamed of. But uh, one thing I've learned from House of Healing is how to go about you forgiving yourself. I was writing a letter, apologizing, things like that. And it was hard for me to write a letter. Really, I thought it was crazy writing to myself. And it was good, and I wrote my letter to myself, you know, some of the things I've done, and it works for me. But that's just me. Everybody has their own way. And so what's happening when you're writing that letter to yourself? Are, are you facing your, your past actions? Is yes, that what's yes, I'm looking at them, and I'm admitting them. And I'm just like I'm writing myself. I'm not me, and I'm writing myself, and I'm uh, explaining some of the things I did and I'm sorry for. It taught me a lot about forgiving myself for being the way that I am. I lost a brother to a drunk driver 25 years ago and uh, could never let that out until I got here. And um, it helped it me could, a lot. Could never let that out mean? Let, uh, let my feelings show uh, about it and uh, address it the way that I have in here. Uh, and it'll be 25 years in March, and uh, I finally got that out through the House of Healing. And uh, <clears throat> that was a big step for me. 
to finally do that. And uh, I believe that uh, the memory of him and the uh, 25th anniversary of his death coming up uh, led to my uh, resuming my drinking after being sober for over 10 years. So uh, I think it's going to help me to uh, deal with the rest of my life. And uh, I know I'm not coming back here. And uh, also it helped me a lot with my anger. There's a lot of the guys in the block know I've got some anger, but uh, it, it, it took the edge off of that quite a bit, so I've learned to deal with that a little bit better. How do you deal with it differently now? I just, uh, it's, it's only been recently, it's not like I'm an expert at it, but I just learned to back off and, and, and let a lot roll off, you know, let a lot of it just roll off my back and uh, not react the way I'm used to reacting. I just, uh, I just don't ever want to come back here, ever. said prisoners have a profound need to make sense of their lives. How do you see that? Well, I think that people go into prison, I would say, with a case of mistaken identity about themselves. They don't really know who they are, because I believe if you really knew who you were, you would not be, um, be apt to be involved in criminal activity. You mean if you really appreciated the tremendous uh, resources and, and gifts that, that live within. Exactly. And there was an interesting study done in England, the Liverpool Desistance Study, where this um, professor looked at people who were able to get out of prison and really desist from crime, looking at them versus a, a control group with the same kind of variables. And he saw that the people that were able to desist from crime had a fundamental shift in their understanding of who they are in terms of um, that if they got out now and committed crimes, it would bring up enough guilt and, and shame to influence them in not committing those crimes because now committing crimes would be inconsistent with who they are. They, they would simply have more consciousness. That's right. They would have more consciousness and more, um, a greater sense of responsibility in the world. And it, committing a crime would be more inconsistent with who they believed themselves to be and, and what they had to offer the world. One of the questions that you ask people behind bars to sit with and to ponder is, who am I? So profound. How do people in prison approach the question of, who am I? Well, initially, they'll approach that in terms of roles that they play. You know, I'm an addict. I'm a gang member. I'm, you know, I'm a thug. I'm a father. I'm a mother. I'm a smart person. I'm a dumb person. So they'll they'll approach it in terms of outer outer characteristics or emotional phases that they're going through. Uh, and the question we pose is: Is there something deeper, something more permanent than changing roles or emotional phases? Is there, is there something more essential? Um, and 
the work that we do is to help them to discover that core self. Uh, it, that our wholeness, our healing is all of that. It's our emotions, it's our roles or whatever. But to have the wisdom of the core self and, and the clarity of that to inform the roles that we play so the ones that don't serve us anymore will begin to fade away and perhaps be replaced by more productive ones. Robin Kasargian, author of Houses of Healing and founder of the Lionheart Foundation. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Studio recording by Bill Wangren. Editorial assistance from Thomas Royal. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with The Network Incorporated. Program development and support provided by Chart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. That's humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN, and our web address is humanmedia.org. This segment, Waking Up in Jail, is Humankind program number 110. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.